You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. Tonight's show features writer-creator John Adam Ross, who is here to discuss his theater event, The Genesis Plays, a play festival presented by The Inheritance Project at the 14th Street Y Theater. The Genesis Plays is a national theater series created to put communities in conversation with the stories from the Torah. The Genesis Plays is a festival consisting of five plays created in different cities around the United States. How cool is that? Performed in New York City for the very first time over three weeks, again at the 14th Street Y Theater, and all inspired by stories from one book. And I am really intrigued by this, so let's go ahead and bring John on. Folks, please welcome to the show, writer-creator of the Genesis Plays, John Adam Ross. Hi, John, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, good. It's my pleasure. And we're sitting in the dressing room, and you're rehearsing, and from what I understand, you're, you've already performed a couple of the plays last night? In fact, last night was when performances started. Luckily, of two plays I was not in, okay. so I got to sit in the audience. Uh, and tonight is the first performance of a play that I am in, and I'm in rehearsal right now. Wow, so you're spinning a lot of plates. You're the writer and creator, and you're an actor in this particular play. Are you in any of the other plays? I'm in two of the five plays. Oh, wow, that's... That's a lot. You're busy. Well, I was in all five plays when we made them around the country, but when we decided to put them together as a festival, we thought that it might be a little crazy to try and have me play all five roles uh, at the same time, and so we recast here with local actors. In addition to being the writer and creator of five different plays that are merging together in one festival. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. You're smiling and you're happy, so it sounds like it's going great. You know, it's this thing that we never thought would happen when we set out to do this endeavor of a national theater series inspired by the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. The original goal was to create pieces of theater in these communities, for these communities, with these communities, and then leave. And we would go create something somewhere else. We never anticipated that we would get a chance to put all five plays in conversation with each other in the same theater at the same time. The festival wasn't a goal. It wasn't even an idea until it was presented to us about a year ago by the 14th Street Y Theater, who approached us with the invitation to think about what it might look like if we put these plays together for a run of a festival. And at that point, we started to think about how to make that happen and what that could look like, and it got pretty exciting. Let's go into that. Uh, give us a more detailed lineage of how the Genesis plays originated and how they developed. Great. So I've been doing devised theater for a long time, uh, and uh, I received a uh, commission from the Covenant Foundation, which is a Jewish foundation based in New York, to um, uh, create a devised theater project uh, in the Jewish community around the country. And the Covenant Foundation was specifically interested in cities that don't have access to uh, a great deal of Jewish culture. So we weren't looking at New York, Chicago, LA, Miami, DC, Boston, Atlanta. We were looking uh, at cities outside kind of uh, Main Street uh, Jewish communities uh, and also communities 
that don't have access necessarily to the kind of devised theater, experimental theater process uh, that I do uh, with my collaborators. And, uh, and so we started picking communities to go to. We came up with this idea of doing something inspired by the book of Genesis. The reason the book of Genesis appealed to me was twofold. One, it's the beginning. It's a sacred text that is at the beginning of the, the historical myth. And uh, when we say sacred text, I've been working with sacred text for a long time, along with Chantal Pavageau, who's the director of the Genesis plays and my collaborator. And we define sacred text as any text that is inherited and held up by a community. So it could be the Bible, it could be the Bhagavad Gita, it could be Dylan songs, it could be the Constitution. Uh, and for the sacred text for this project, it seemed Genesis would be great, number one, because it's at the beginning, and number two, because it is owned and inherited by more than just Jews. And in my initial conversation with the Covenant Foundation, I expressed a desire to create something with the Jewish community, but not exclusively for the Jewish community. Uh, and picking a text that allows us to engage with the Muslim community, the Christian communities in these cities, uh, who also have fidelity to this foundational text for their religions, uh, really opened up a lot of opportunities for us to have deep conversations over the course of the process. We began in Minneapolis in 2015. Uh, I had just done a play the, the year before at the Guthrie Theater that Chantal had co-written and directed and I was an actor in it. And so we felt like we had a lot of relationships in the theater community there and I knew a bunch of rabbis. So we decided to start in the Twin Cities and made a play inspired by the story of Abraham. Moved on to Charleston uh, where we explored the story of Rebecca and then to Austin with Jacob and Seattle with Leah and Rachel and uh, Kansas City with Sarah and uh, and now here we are in New York. Wow. that That's so interesting to me and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to define something for me. Sure. What is devised theater? I'd never heard that term before. Great. So... Traditional theater begins with a script, right. typically written by a playwright in their pajamas, and then a producer reads the script, Guilty. buys the rights, <laughs> hires a director, casts it, mounts it, wins Tony Awards. That's the traditional trajectory of right. theater. We reverse the process. So we end with a script. We begin with a question, an idea, a text that we want to explore with a, with a specified community. And then over the course of a period of time, for the Inheritance Project, it's typically about a nine-month period of time, in a community, we per per play per play. Wow! So um, so we spend nine months in Kansas City, uh, doing uh, in a few phases. Phase one is generating, right? The, the the generating material phase is workshops, salons, interviews, conversations with clergy, with artists, with community members, with political leaders. Um, uh, it, it could look like lots of different things, but that's a way for us to collect stories uh, the, and generate material for, for the play. We begin that process by gathering here in New York uh, experts in the text, whatever the sacred text is. So in the case of the Genesis plays, it was rabbis or clergy of other faiths for whom these texts are, are seminal, um, and scholars uh, in a room with experts in story. They're not experts in the story, right? They may not know anything about the Bible, but it could be uh, a journalist for the Atlantic or a poet or an Emmy award-winning TV actor. And we put them in the room with the rabbis and the scholars, and we lock the door for a few hours, and we pick apart all the moments in the story of Sarah 
that inspire us or confuse us or piss us off or surprise us. And those moments become questions, become prompts that we then bring to the communities to generate their material. So for instance, Abraham ran away from home and started a new religion. So in Minneapolis, we met with 180 high school students and asked them, when is a moment in your life when you realized you were different than your parents? And that sparked a whole bunch of stories that we collected. Uh, we actually interviewed about 500 people in the Twin Cities to get their stories. Those stories go in a blender with the inspiring sacred text. And what comes out in Minneapolis was a play about a hoarder that we performed in an antique store that would close every night at 5.30 and then we would set up 40 chairs and do a play. Uh, so um, we did that kind of process. The other element of the process phase of the process I didn't talk about is the open rehearsal phase. So we do the generating material and then we go away for a few weeks and uh, transcribe all the recordings and, and start editing out some of the text and turning it into something that we can do on our feet. We then come back to the communities for a phase of open rehearsals. And our open rehearsals aren't in the traditional way, we're going to rehearse for a half hour and then you get to ask questions as an audience. Rather, two minutes into a scene, Chantal, the director, might pause the scene and say, hold, that moment's not working, can you go back five lines and do it again? And then we'll do it again. And then she'll say, still not working, anybody out there have any ideas? And the audience can jump up and jump on stage and help shape the material as it's being made into a play. Uh, in fact, in Austin, Texas, before the open one of the open rehearsals started, Chantal said to the cast, I want to let you know I'm going to stop you about 30 seconds in, not because you messed anything up, but because I need the audience to know it's a rehearsal. And so 30 seconds into the rehearsal, Chantal was like, nope, 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 all wrong. Go back to the beginning. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and in Charleston, with the Rebecca play, Darian, who's on stage right now rehearsing, um, wanted to be off book for the open rehearsal. And he, he said, I don't like having pages in my hands because I need my body to be available to me in rehearsal. And Chantal said, if you're off book, the audience will feel it's too polished, and they won't feel permission to uh, adjust, to mm -hmm. give suggestions. So you need to hold your pages in your hand, even if you're off book, just to indicate to the audience that this is still in progress and that we need their help. That That's fascinating. I, I had never, I mean, I've heard of works in development, but you're right, they usually do at least start with some form of a script. Now, do, did you work in addition to having the open rehearsals, did the cast and the team work together on their own before going into that level of rehearsal? Like, did you do theater games, or how did how did that work? Sure, it's different in every city, uh, but oftentimes uh, we do get the cast together before we start rehearsing stuff in front of people, just so that they feel a little bit familiar and it's not a cold read with the material that we're playing with, sure. and also because the cast members end up changing the lines once it gets in their mouths and we figure out what the story Story is and what we're trying to say and how this person would say that part of mm. the of the of the intention. Smart. You know, the the there's two things that that are exciting about our work. One is that most audiences only experience art when it's finished, and most artists only share their art when it's finished. And it's a really exciting thing to be able to give everyone in a community access to the artistic process from its inception, not as witnesses to the process, but as participants in the process. And the other thing that's super exciting is that in every community we go to, we find artists in that community to become collaborators in the process. So that it's not these artists from New York coming in and making a play. Rather, it's these artists from New York coming in and uh, instigating art in the community. So that the arts community, both visual and performing artists that participate in our process, 
are a part of what we're making and making their own stuff in response to it. And in fact, all the box office proceeds from all five cities went to local artists and arts organizations as a way to pay that forward and continue to instigate uh, more art making so the communities are investing in themselves when they bought tickets to see the plays. Nice. That's terrific. And who knows, you may be flipping on a theater switch for somebody in that's working as an audience member that's working with you during your open rehearsal process. You know, there might be a, 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 a young kid who comes in and who maybe just needs a little bit of permission and a little bit of encouragement, and you've opened up a whole world. In Austin, Texas, we had a high school student who showed up to a devising session that we were doing with high school students. It was a wrestling workshop because we were exploring Jacob wrestling the angel, mm-hmm. and we invited any high school students who were on high school wrestling teams to come to this devising workshop. And we had the University of Texas wrestling team collect collaborating with us on that piece as well. And the captain of the University of Texas wrestling team took this high school student under his wing. Both of them ended up being in the play. The high school student played an angel. The captain of the University of Texas wrestling team played God. And in this play about Jacob wrestling the angel in Texas that we also did in collaboration with the Aslan Dance Company, which is a Hispanic dance company in Texas, and the Austin Jewish Repertory Theater, and me in spandex in a ring getting my ass kicked. But but the... I think I saw a video video of that in the press release materials. I'm, I'm so sorry, but just so you know, in that video in Austin when we did the play, I was wearing basketball shorts and a tank top, and later tonight when that play premieres, the audience will see me in a bedazzled singlet. So I think you're safer with the video. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a bedazzled yes. singlet? Yes. Oh, and wrestling in it, right? Oh yeah. Oh, I'd I've seen a lot, but I've never seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Neither has my wife. (laughs) Surprise. That's right. She may like it. Who knows? (laughs) Um, Now, did the Genesis plays begin as a... You said earlier that it it has evolved into into what it is now, but did you just have intentions of doing one of the particular plays, and that was it. We knew from the beginning that we were going to be doing five. Uh, In fact, I presented that in my conversation with the Covenant Foundation when they began this conversation about the commission. Uh, They asked me what ideas I had, and this was one of my ideas, and I said that I was really interested in in working fast Mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, making theater that wasn't a two-year version of a play. Right, Hamilton took seven years in development to create and is is the pinnacle of, of what can be achieved on stage. And I was actually interested in a more raw form of art making where the community is involved and it's not the finished, polished, beautiful product that's on the main stage of the gorgeous theater with all the, the bells and whistles. This is what, can, what we can do to tell this story together over the period of seven months. And Liz Lerman who is uh, an award-winning and, and um, distinguished choreographer and, and thinker about the arts, uh, is an advisor of mine, and I called her up early on in the process, and she said, John, you can't do this. I'm going to call the Covenant Foundation and tell them that you will only do three plays in three years. You're, you're overreaching. And I said, Liz, I want to try... To, to make these plays knowing that you know it's not going to be perfect it's not going to be ideal it's not we're not going to have enough time we're not going to have rehearsal time and Liz said okay but I warned you wow. <laughs> and, and but Liz was right and I'm really glad that we made the decision that we made it was stressful but here we are did you have at times 
two different plays going on at the same time in development. Oh yes, we would be going from an open rehearsal in Charleston to a devising session in Boston to a meet and greet in Seattle to, to uh, you know back to a performance in Charleston. So uh, the, the the cities were layered over each other. Every city got nine months, but what that really means is that every six months or so we were starting the next city, and there were a lot of overlaps. Because I was doing the math in my head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it would seem like there, there would, would be some overlap. You know, as you're describing uh, the, the type of theater that you're working in here, it feels um, old school. And by old school, I mean like old, old school, like Renaissance. Like, it, it just feels like it's... it's I don't know if I'm expressing myself properly here, but it, it feels like something that you would see during that time, or that they would develop in that manner during that time. Um, it, it, am I am I hitting a target here? Yeah, I mean it's really interesting because because for what we know of Shakespeare. Um, he had a company of players mm -hmm. and he would write roles specifically for that company of players because he would know how those players would uh, would handle a different role and the players, they would do rehearsals where you would bring in new pages and you would try the new pages and see what works and see what doesn't and then go back. That's still how theater is made today, often by playwrights who will come in with material uh, and um, uh, you know, I was just listening to an episode of the West Wing Weekly podcast uh, yesterday uh, where they were interviewing Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy wow. Kale, and they were talking about this process of Lynn bringing in pages, trying stuff out, and then going back and writing. For us, it's not a company of players that we're used to working with. It's a new cast of characters in every city that we go to, still the same process. Right. The process of bringing in material and saying, does this work with you? What do you think? Are we accurately? And the other thing that I would just add is the unique task we have is that we are asking people to trust us with their stories. Mm. And then we're taking those stories and, and messing with them and playing with them and turning them into something new. And that's a heavy burden, asking that for that permission and then taking that and, and running with it. So when we're presenting you know, pages, there's a little bit of stress in there because you've given me your story, I've turned it into something else, and now I want to know what you think about it. And we ask them that in the middle of the process, not when it's all done and beautiful. That puts you and your team in a very vulnerable position. Have you ever had any issues with that? or Absolutely. I'll tell you that in Kansas City, we worked with a mosque uh, in the Muslim community and had a great relationship with them. We did a devising session there to generate material. We had done sessions with congregants from that mosque outside of the mosque and inside of the mosque. And when we came back to do our open rehearsals, an email went out to the community letting them know that they were, they were invited to this open rehearsal of this play exploring the story of Sarah and Hagar, who were Abraham wives and the uh, I have worked very closely with the mosque to understand the rules and obligations of Islam so that we would be following all the customs when we did our open rehearsal for instance you can't portray the prophets whether you're a Dutch cartoonist or you're me becoming Abraham right. so we made a meta play where it was about artists making a play about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar it wasn't about it wasn't the play of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and uh, when the email went out to the community about the open rehearsal a congregant emailed the rest 
most of the community back and said, I just went online and looked at their stuff and they absolutely portray the prophets and should not be allowed in our mosque. They are heretics. And the president of the mosque forwarded me the email and said, I just want you to know this is happening. Don't worry about it. We trust you. It's going to be great. But the night before the open rehearsal, I panicked. I said, sure. this scene is not safe enough. And I stayed up all night writing a new scene that was even safer. And we got to the open rehearsal and there were about 40 people, kids to old people, men, women, all mixed. And we rehearsed the new scene for about 30 minutes and it was boring and we got boring feedback. And after about a half hour, Chantal said, John, why don't we do the other scene? And I said, I don't feel comfortable doing the other scene. And Chantal said, why not, John? In front of everybody. So then I had to admit to everyone, I don't know where the line is and I'm in your sacred space and I don't want to cross the line in your sacred space. And they said, do the scene, we'll let you know if it crosses the line. And we did the scene. I was super nervous. And at the end of the scene, it was great. People got mad. People got happy. One person said, you can't say that line. And the other person said, of course he can say that line. And there was meat on the bones. There was something to play with, something to wrestle with. And uh, it allowed us to really dig in. And in the end, they were thanking us for trusting them when we were the ones who felt privileged to be trusted. Wow. Chantal is really smart. Yes, she's she much is. smarter wow, than I, me. Well, I mean, yeah, she's... These are, she's utilizing like um, uh, techniques and okay, is Chantal outside the door? Bring her in. We're talking about her right now. This is excellent. That's wow. good timing. Perfect timing, right? That's right. Perfect timing. <laughs> Sorry, it felt Hi. Like Perfect timing. Hi, Sean was just saying we're recording now. Sean was just saying Chantal Sorry, seems really smart. smart. Uh-huh. I was. I was like, what a smart lady. Are you going to sit in for the uh, interview um, a little I, bit? I can hopefully come back. I just have to give this to somebody so they can go buy a prop. But okay. let me see. <laughs> let me see what I can leave behind. And yeah. I'm totally smart. Okay, I'll put what we were going to say. Okay, I love that. I'm totally smart. I love it. Um, now, you talked about uh, reaction from the various religious communities. What has been the reaction from the Jewish community? It's a great question. When we were in Kansas City, uh, we were doing uh, an open rehearsal of the Sarah play where we cast two actresses who happen to be white and black. And we did not cast them in role because the play messes with role, both with Sarah and Hagar, who was Sarah's slave, and they switched places. And in a black church during an open rehearsal, a pastor raised her hand and said, I'm sorry, you cannot have that white girl playing Hagar. It must be the actress with the braids because that is the truth. And then we went to a synagogue where a Jewish woman raised her hand and said, I'm really offended by the racist choice you made to cast the black actress as the slave woman Hagar. And that's been a very interesting experience, having these conversations in a Jewish community that is not used to alternative understandings of their narratives. In Charleston, South Carolina, we would go into a Jewish space and for a rehearsal, and Jews would instantly come up to me and, saying, and say, oh, you're playing Jacob? And they would point to Darian, who's black, and say, he's playing Esau? They would just assume that I was playing the, the hero. And then we would go into a black space, and they would go to Darian and say, you're playing Esau? And point to me and say, he's playing Jacob? Which surprised me, because I had always thought of Jacob as the hero, and I assumed they would see the person who looks like them as the hero. But in the Bible... 
Jacob's a thief, and Esau's a forgiver. In the Talmud, 3,000 years of rabbinic spin that has been written about the story, Jacob is elevated to be this hero, this patriarch, while Esau is uh, maligned so that there is contrast. And the different traditions understanding with when you only have the written text versus when you have this oral tradition uh, that spins the story a slightly different way, all of a sudden there's different understandings of the story. And one of the things that's been very exciting is finding Jewish communities in Kansas and South Carolina and Texas who are wrestling with their own understanding and awareness of the alternative interpretations of these stories that they've been taught about in one way. Wow. What comes to mind when you just told me that was um, that there is a huge sensitivity to uh, appropriate racial casting right now. Um, I'm sure it's always been there. And uh, but a lot of people that I interview talk about it. Um, they want a particular race of character played by that race um, of an actor, and it's it's really interesting to see how that is not just here, but you who are allowing the public to come in and work on your plays with you um, are you're encountering that as well from the public. Yeah, sure. so there is a connection there for sure. Look, I, I'll, I'll, I'm a cis straight white guy who got a grant to make art. <laughs> that is that is not a new story. Yeah. Um, my job is to leverage that platform to have the conversations that I'm interested in having and that I think are worthwhile to have. The first phone call I made when we got this commission was to Chantal, who is a Catholic Cajun from East Texas, and I said, "I need you on this with me because I need a partner who is not like me and who has a different perspective than I do." Uh, there's a scene in the Sarah play which premiered last night, um, and uh, it where. Uh, the actresses are arguing over whether or not Hagar was black. And the actor in the play walks up and says, you're both wrong. Hagar was Middle Eastern. She, you know, they were all Middle Eastern. They were all Mesopotamian with dark olive skin and dark curly hair and brown curly hair and green eyes. You know, they were all Middle Eastern. And he makes the comment, he says, uh, Moses probably looked more like Hassan Minaj than Charlton Heston. To which one of the other actresses says, Hassan Minaj is Indian, right? Right? Like this, we're just playing with, we're, t- we're we're exploring and playing with what it means to tell these stories. And in the Jacob play, which ostensibly is about a story that happened in Mesopotamia with Middle Eastern-looking people, we have three dancers from Ballet Hispanico Dos, BH Dos. Um, we have a dancer from the Aslan Dance Company, which is a Hispanic dance company in Austin. We have um, uh, an Afri- two African-American uh, performers. Um, uh, and three uh, white performers. And so the, 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 the plays that you come and see here um, aren't going for accuracy of representation in Middle Eastern uh, times of 3,000 years ago in, in, in biblical times because the plays actually don't take place in the desert. This isn't the story of Abraham. This isn't the story of Rebecca. This is the story of Charleston in 2017 when they were dealing with the aftermath of this massacre or 2016 uh, in a blend with the story of Rebecca, and out comes this new play. <laughs> wow! Now, when now you're a writer, so I would, I'm a writer as well. We get used to taking criticism, or we try to. I know I don't always handle it great. Um, when you're getting feedback from an audience like that, 
is it tough to just sort of, you know, treat yourself like a computer and just go, okay, take it in, process it, and do it, does it ever take you back? Do you ever get a little bristled by it? My father-in-law has a saying, de gustibus nom disputandum est. When it comes to opinion, there is no dissent. I'm probably saying it wrong in the Latin. But one of the exciting things about going into this process is that um, I came in a lot less humble than I'm coming out. And I mean to say, you walk into a room, you think you're right, you think you know these stories, and constantly, daily, I am being pushed in my assumptions and pushed in my preconceived notions to understand that there's a lot more ways to see these stories and to see these truths, and there's no one truth. And um, and so I can't take it personally because your opinion is your opinion. It's like your opinion, man. You know, like I, I can't tell you your opinion is wrong. I can only tell you that your opinion is not my opinion. And hearing your opinion informs my opinion and more importantly, informs the art that I'm making. Because the art that I'm making isn't just about putting my opinions on a stage. The art that I'm making is about putting a community's opinions on a stage. Which means your opinion is just as important as her opinion, which is just as important as their opinion. And I'm taking all of that and putting that into the blender, putting that into the mix. Is it easy to let it roll off your back when somebody gets pissed off by something that we've put on stage or somebody calls us racist? Yeah, it's hard. In Kansas City, when that woman raised her hand and said, uh, I'm offended by the racist choice to cast that black actress as the slave woman, Hagar, I said, thank you. Any other uh, thoughts and opinions in the room? And the actress, Amber McKinnon, uh, who's an actress of color, at the bar after the rehearsal said, how come you didn't stand up to her and say, I'm not racist. Some people think Hagar was black. How come you didn't say that to her? And I said, my job isn't to shut down or correct people in that moment. In that moment, my job is to make everybody feel permission to share. And the second I correct someone or chastise someone, everybody's hands go down. They don't feel permission to share because they're afraid they might say the wrong thing. I want you to say the wrong thing. I want you to say the wrong thing because that's information for the show. Wow. I, I try to have the philosophy that the audience has to have the ego. That's that's what I try to do, um, in 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 that they're the ones who are watching it, and they have uh, the from afar vision of it, and it's it's really really tough at times to 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 have a, a dissenting opinion be focused on my work. I have what I call a two-day pity party rule, where if something bothers me, I'm allowed to complain about it for two days, and I'm allowed to eat well worse than I already do and, um, and sit around and watch junk TV and then it's back on the horse. I would imagine you don't have time for that. No. <laughs> you know, with, with, you know, running five plays and a lot of them at the same time, you you just... So this is, has had to have made you grow and stretch tremendously as a writer. I feel like I've been in graduate school for the last three years as a playwright. I really do. And as a human. Wow. That's, that's, that's terrific. Um... Tell us about the Inheritance Project. The Inheritance Project does this work. The Inheritance Project puts communities' lived experiences in conversation with their inherited sacred texts. And uh, we are in conversations right now with NYU Law School to do a piece uh, with the Constitution. We're in conversations with Omaha, Nebraska to do a piece uh, as part of our next series, which is the Exodus Plays series, working with resettled Syrian refugees. We just made a piece in Harlem working with formerly incarcerated New Yorkers in collaboration with the Jewish 
Jewish Theological Seminary as the kickoff to the Exodus play series, exploring Exodus as a narrative of freedom. And uh, and our um, our main goal is to bring the artistic process to as many people as possible so that their stories are a part of the stories that are getting a platform. When today, it takes a lot to get a platform. It takes it, t- it takes celebrity, it takes money, it takes access, mm-hmm. um, and w- our goal is to bring that access to people instead of uh, having people come to us. And that, that goes with the pay-it-forward philosophy as well in terms of the box office uh, stuff with tickets going to local artists and arts organizations. Um, uh, Right now, Sean, sacred text is being wielded as a weapon for division, condescension, and judgment. And we are in a really unique position to be able to bring sacred text into the artistic process as a tool for bridge building, as a tool for listening, as a tool for understanding, and for fostering universality and humanism. I can totally feel that. And I, uh, the reason why I think what you're doing is so effective is because you are taking into consideration so many different opinions as you develop these shows and uh, you are respecting so many different opinions and bringing in all these various religions and and uh, factions of society to weigh in on that and that's I think a lot of what we need right now we need understanding and you're applying that to plays that I do I think it sounds like to me um, satisfy the three the three E's uh, to entertain to educate and to edify or uplift the audience. feels like that's what you're doing. And that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I hope you're right. We did have an audience member in one city after an open rehearsal say, uh, after an intense open rehearsal say, don't you want your place to be more entertaining and more fun? And, uh, and so I talked about how much I love Schindler's List, and I never want to see it again, but I'm so glad it exists as a piece of art and that I have seen it. Uh, and sometimes art needs to be that, and sometimes art needs to be SpongeBob SquarePants. They both have validity. Um, we're trying to um, mark the line, uh, toe the line, the balance between Schindler's List and SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Have you ever said that before? Nope, I uh, haven't. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I've got fresh information. I got a fresh quote. That's awesome. That's very very cool. Um, is is the are the Genesis plays the very first project that's launching the Inheritance project? Yes. Okay. Well, that's a great springboard. That's Thank amazing. you. Yeah, we're we're very appreciative of the opportunity we've had to, to to make this work and the opportunity we have to present it here all together. Oh, great! That's that's terrific. Now, I wish Chantal would come back, but it sounds like she's really really busy. But I will say, uh, her tactics of what she's doing in rehearsal are super smart. That is an an excellent, outstanding director. Because I think like, directors have to be a bit passive aggressive. In my opinion, they have to take. Uh, I know, and I just did a musical in Chicago where I was a book writer, and I would have some notes, and I'd have to go to my director and say, you know, here, this is what's happening. And he knew exactly how to communicate that to the actors and what to do and the techniques to use. Um, and uh, I remember they were doing a, a scene where it was two guys who were singing, they were at a Republican fundraiser, and I said, you know what, they're, they're, 
they're they're really stiff. And he, rather than saying, hey, you guys are really stiff in this, he said, uh, I want you to make each other laugh. And I think to good directors, they do that. I don't, I don't know how they do it. I'm just a little too blunt. So it sounds like that's one of the wonderful things that Chantal does, in addition to blocking and character analysis and tech and all of that. You know, uh, in The West Wing, uh, uh, some uh, uh, somebody talks about uh, what happens if I become president, where would I even start? I don't know what I would do. And uh, Leo McGarry, who's the chief of staff, says, do you have a best friend? And he says, yes. And Leo says, is your best friend smarter than you? And he says, yes. And he said, that's your chief of staff, and then you'll be fine. And I feel like with Chantal, I have a best friend who's smarter than me. And the two of us together make this operation um, uh, much better than it would be if we were on our own. Wow, that's terrific. That's a great attitude to have. I love it. Okay, before we go, can you please give our audience your social media information? Absolutely. You can find us online at uh, www.inheritance.org. Inheritance is spelled in a punderful manner uh, with the word air in the middle of the word. So it's I-N-H-E-I-R-I-T-A-N-C-E, inheritance, if you will. Uh, we are also the Inheritance Project at Inheritance uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. That's that's terrific, um, and I think that you need to like trademark "punderful" because <laughs> "punderful" is such a great word. I hadn't heard it until today. Thank and, you. Yeah, or at least say you know that you have dibs on it for sure. a writing project. I always say that I'm like, did, did you just say that? Is that new? If it's new, I'm I'm taking it, grabbing <laughs> that. Just uh, so the, well, it's been absolutely wonderful having you here. I've learned so much, not just about. Um, uh, the, the the religions and uh, the, the the social aspects that you're bringing into your work, but about this wonderful development process. I think it's so cool. And I might can may I add that it's actually really good for the audience because all these people who have participated in your show, they're going to bring people and say, "Look, I'm part of this." That's it's terrific. So congratulations on great work. Thank you. That's so amazing. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, John Adam Ross. You were amazing. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. As for me, you can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket at Facebook.com, Your Program is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at Program Ticket. The website is YourProgramIsYourTicket.com. How convenient is that? I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please go there, uh, rate me, write me a review, subscribe. That all helps with my profile, and I appreciate it. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people, and Kirk. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.